listening to Awake Radio. Straight talk for the awake and aware. Welcome to Reality Bikes Radio on the 17th of July 2014. Uh, tonight we have our regular monthly guest, uh, Mr. Alan Watt from Canada. Uh, well, he's from Scotland, but he's he's based in Canada. Um, and the last time Alan was on, uh, we had some people in the chat box asking about Freemasonry, and that's going to be our subject for, um, for the first hour tonight. Uh, you there, Alan? Yes, I am, yep. Loud and clear. Okay, um, basically, I suppose, you know, we need to start at the at the very beginning of uh, where Freemasonry started from, uh, its origins, uh, the people involved in it, and basically it's uh, it's history up to the present day and it's uh, and its influence on on decisions made by by whoever uh, may make decisions these days um so you know i, I mentioned in the email i sent you that i, I tried to plow my way through malls and dogma i've actually tried to do it twice and mm-hmm. i just i just got i got about halfway through both times and kind of gave up uh, i shouldn't yeah. have but uh, it wasn't my book and i had to hand it back to somebody so that's that's, oh, yeah. that's why i ended up not doing that um but um I distinctly remember getting part of the way into it, and then you know it all sounds all very very fluffy and nice, and uh, they're all out to help everybody. And then I can't remember if it's the sixth or seventh degree or something. Um, they turn around and, and basically, well, Mr. Pike turns around and says, "Well, basically, we've, we've lied to you up to now, and uh, this is what it's really about." Um, yep. So, is is Mr. Pike the the originator, or does it go way way before that? Oh, it was way before that, and. Uh... Uh, he he was a grand master of the of the, what they call the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry for the U.S. But the Scottish Rite wasn't uh, developed in Scotland. Uh, the one they, they teach in the U.S. was came from the Grand Lodge in in France, and uh, they were given their charter from France. Uh, so they were a, a kind of revolutionary type, and um, uh, everything else is run from the Grand Lodge in England, basically the the York, the York Rite, you know. Uh, so, uh, but the, the the one in the states definitely is a revolutionary type flavor, and but in the recent century or so, they've adopted a lot of other degrees from the other lodges, uh, including the Royal Archmasonry and so on that came from Scotland. So uh, uh, they're they're combining together as they're meant to do eventually. What they do is a dialectic. Uh, um, you, you create, uh, say, a grand lodge in England, for instance. And then at, that, at those days, back in the, the 1700s, uh, there was still fighting Catholicism, basically. And uh, there were many factions joined uh, Masonry in those days. The disaffected and all the rest of it, and even before they called it Masonry as such and established it in 1717, you go back further and you find the Rosicrucians in France were agitating for revolution, then in the monarchy, uh, this kind of utopia they'd bring in, this brotherly love stuff, international. Uh, it's still being followed today, by the way, but you find a lot of it really came, seems to come from France uh, in its earlier days under different names and so on, uh, and then developed into Freemason, uh, Freemasonic uh, institutions. But today they're all working together with a common goal. Basically, they're all working today um, towards uh, uh, the end of uh, sovereignty for nations and creating a global system. They do believe, uh, like Plato did in his, his book, The Republic, uh, that there should be uh, enlightened masters who rule the world. 
this, oh, they're always referring to the Fisher King, like Solomon's Temple and the, Solomon himself, who, who would select the successors for the guys at the top uh, to keep running the world rather than leave it to politicians and the usual psychopaths. But again, underneath it all, uh, don't forget there's an awful lot of psychopaths going to Freemasonry because they all know that's how you get ahead, even in politics. So you go way, way back in ancient times, uh, and empires, Rome had different orders too. They had the, the equestrian order for the for the knighted cavalry they had there, and um, they had the collegia, for instance, another bunch for all the the, the legionnaires and their uh, centurions, uh, who were all sworn to to defend each other and help each other in times of trouble, etc. Uh, they were brothers. And then as you go down through the ages, you end, you end up with the Templars. And even in Britain, you, you had the early uh, Druids and the Chaldees and so on like that. There were brotherhoods as well. Modern masonry is starting to debunk a lot of the, the myth that was a continuous process all down through the ages from Solomon to the present. That was very popular in the 1700s to get recruits into it. But today they're, they're dispelling those myths. And basically, uh, masonry, as it came to be known, really was formulated and uh, standardized to an extent in the 1700s. Yeah. Okay, so if we, um, if we move into the, the modern era from, from the 1700s onwards, if you like, um, how, did the, how did these uh, secret societies, for want of a better word, um, est- establish themselves within um, not just the establishment, but to, in the wider kind of political systems um, across, across the globe, I suppose? Yeah. Well, you'll find if you go back actually to the 1500s, 1600s, uh, and especially in Germany, where so much was happening at that time, and and Holland as well, you had the beginnings of the Protestant uh, uh, religion coming out there, and even before that came out, there were many factions competing as a as a uh, an alternative to the Catholic Church, which was very powerful. And hence the need for secrecy, of course, naturally, because back then you could be uh, burned as a heretic if you were caught trying to get subterfuge going to bring down the Catholic Church. Uh, so you had different factions uh, fighting that too, on uh, both sides, by the way. And you find that um, disaffected groups, as I say, who, who and minority groups uh, had got together and came up with the idea of a, a religion. Everyone at that time was religiously minded, remember. Uh, they weren't into a scientific age as we know it today. And so they had to get a, a substitute religion or the one that they all knew, which was Christianity, uh, and alter it a little bit uh, to dis- take the power away from uh, Rome and and to do subterfuge and so on. And so Holland was a big base for it and then into Germany. And you find that, that there, with their different lodges, they started to go into more revolutionary work. And they had, they had big uh, ongoing battles for a long time with the various authorities to try to destabilize the, the system at that time and bring in a new system which they themselves would rule. England was very famous for it, in fact, because England, in, a, in Freemasonry, you must take an oath today in modern times to defend and stand up for, for, for the nation that you live in, regardless of its policies. But it was different in the 1700s, in the 1600s. You, you, um, England was sending out revolutionary Freemasons to Holland to ensure that uh, the, 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 the revolution across Europe was going properly. And, uh, but, the, but back home, the Masons were sworn not to revolution because England was already taken over, including the monarchy. You know? 
So they wanted to bring in a kind of parliamentary system in, what they call the, the, the beginnings of democracy, and uh, which they themselves, the higher masters, would rule. You know, that was the basic of it. And then they also wanted the abolition of private property uh, down the road, because again, they followed Plato's Republic, the book um, where Plato said, if you're a king, you always have a, the, the worry of keeping up palaces, uh, castles, and so on. Why not get the public to pay for it and pay for your servants? And, pay, and then they can refurbish things that are stolen or lost or broken. And you can, you can simply live like a king without having to pay for it all. Well, that's a system of what we're going into today, the New World Order. The bureaucratic um, system we're in today, uh, you have people living like kings, actually better than kings of, of, of old uh, in high bureaucratic positions as they tend to run our lives from, from childhood to, to death. Now, that's where they're going with it all, and abolition eventually of private property. You've got to remember, too, that uh, the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry that Albert Pike uh, was the head of in the U.S., he um, was also in charge of, of the Masonic uh, World Revolution Society, and uh, he passed it on to Mazzini, and Mazzini uh, uh, took spread it over to, to Europe and Italy and other places to get revolutions started all over the place. Uh, again, it changed hands a few times of successors to Garibaldi in different places, different people, and then eventually turned up and was bestowed upon Lenin, and then they called it the, the Bolshevik or Communist Party. So, I mean, it's you know, I mean, this is obviously a global. Um, uh, phenomenon, if you like, for for want of a better word, and yeah. I mean, I, I, how did the how did these guys communicate back then? I mean, did they have some kind of um, secret net, secret network uh, as such uh, back yeah. in those days? Oh yeah, even, even in the ancient orders they used to have in countries with the fraternity groups in different like Rome, as I say, they had the Mithraic group. Mithraic uh, society was a competitor for, to Christianity for for centuries. Uh, very similar in many ways too, and um, the initiate had to go through the, uh, the the blood being poured from a bull that was above a grate above him. They slaughtered the bull that who was represented the power of the universe or the sun, and uh, and he was drenched in blood that he was born again. And that was a Mithraic cult. Many of the legionnaires were belonged to that cult for centuries. And uh, and they were sworn to secrecy, but they used symbols, uh, words in symbols, lots of symbology uh, to transmit uh, their craft, as they call it. You know. Yeah. So I mean, for example, say an idea um, originates in in England. Um, I mean, how how long would it have taken these guys to to kind of coordinate um, the next step in that kind of um, plan or idea? Uh, you know, to, to implement it all, all at the same t- time, as it were. Well, the whole point was lodges. And in ancient times, and even through the British uh, Empire days, uh, it was often done with travelling lodges that went along. E- each regiment of, of troops had their own travelling lodge. And, in fact, that's how the Orange Lodge really took off. They were sworn to the monarchy of, of England, and uh, they took their travelling lodges with them all through the US, in fact, you know and elsewhere, uh, even into India. So uh, wherever they went, if if there wasn't a lodge there already, they'd establish one. If there was there, they would transmit the the new orders and charters and so on. The whole point was was total um, uh, efficient communication between different branches and lodges across the world. Today is perfect, you know. 
Well, I mean, just just coincidentally, I'm, I'm sitting here just south of Belfast, and we're we're in the marching season here, and uh, we've we've driven through a few a few towns and villages where the the Orange lodges are, and the Union Jacks are waving all over the place. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. You know, um, I've, I've seen it in Scotland as well. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. anybody anybody who thinks this is a a purely Irish phenomenon uh, only needs to be in Scotland around the twelfth of July. Uh, yeah, to see yeah. that uh, I don't know, I think it's about 12, 12 to fourteen miles west of Edinburgh, uh, mm-hmm. there's an orange lodge from there to the uh, to the west coast of Scotland. That's right. It's only a few years ago they stopped their marches through Scotland too. You know, they just march through the streets and yeah, there's, there's still uh, some little ones going on in some of the villages um, around about uh, West Lothian and places like that. Uh, where you have uh, politicians talk about the the West Lothian problem, uh, well, I'd suggest uh, a lot of it's caused by these guys. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, it's um, I, I don't know if many of our listeners know that uh, you know I I lived in the south of Ireland for many years, and the the second largest uh, Masonic lodge in the world is 100 metres from the Irish Parliament, and uh, I've heard it from many people, including uh, you know. Um, Official journalists and stuff that there there is a, a passageway uh, below that um, which goes under the street that connects it to the Parliament building. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard anything about that, but uh, it is officially the second largest lodge in the world. So I mean, anybody anybody who thinks that Ireland was ever given independence, um, oh, <laughs> you yeah, know, only yeah. has to look at that that building. Uh, and I, can't, I can't remember the exact words of the placard on the door, but it's um, it, it's really quite sinister when you when you. You look at it and uh, understand what the words mean. But um, you've mentioned many times before, uh, I think it was Albert Pike that said at the time, that, that uh, we never speak so plainly as when we speak in public. Is, is, that, yeah. is, that, is that a paraphrase or is that, that is the exact words? I can't remember. Uh, that's his exact words pretty well. He, he uh, isn't just by what they say, it's what they do with their hands and so on in public as well. And you can go into, say, if, if there's a, a branch meeting on, or even the Masonic Hall itself, and a stranger comes in with his wife for for, for, for the meal, some some party meal that's going on there, a dance or something. If you watch the guys who are, who are at the door especially, a stranger will come in and then he'll watch and then he'll go up and he'll introduce himself to the guy there in a Masonic fashion. And uh, there's different little gestures and even with their hands, even pulling their pants to an extent too, things like that. It's quite funny to watch them as they, as they pass and communicate to each other, yeah. But they'll say it quite openly, you know. They, the people won't catch on to what they're actually saying, you see. You, you'll think they're saying one thing, but they're actually saying another, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot um, a lot talked about, about the, the handshakes and uh, you know, the, the ceremonies and rolling up the trouser, trouser legs and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't know how much of that's true or false or whatever, but, um, you know, it's certainly put out there as a as a, something to watch out for or something that's done in, behind closed doors and all the rest of it. Um, it Talking about gestures, I, I mean, I, I see politicians all the time, and I, I think uh, I watched that speech that's going around now by Christine Lagarde about the number seven and all that. I, I don't know how much of that is uh, put out just to, to um, have a laugh at us all, really. But um, th- this hand gesture with the the, the hand is um, horizontal with the four fingers closed and the thumb sticking straight up. Every, I've seen every politician use this hand signal, and I mean, I, I don't know, you... Um, You've studied symbology and uh, all this kind of stuff. I mean, is that a, is that a specific gesture? It's, it's a gesture too. Even 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 the V signs a gesture, like Winston Churchill used and so on. But uh, in fact, even with the then vogue with the youth today, with the, with the pop culture, rock culture, culture is the is the devil's horn as well. That's also came, comes from uh, the old societies. In fact, you'll see that gesture used by 
paintings uh, by, of monks in the Middle Ages using that gesture. Does it have any specific meaning, or, or is it just a, a kind yeah, of Yeah, it does. Sign? It also tells that the kind of lodge they're on, because there's a little secret to do with uh, the left-hand path and the right-hand path, uh, because masonry uses a dialectic process to get things done. To get something changed, one, one group will come out and oppose, the, say, the standing traditional group, whoever happens to be your system. Uh, but it's not good enough. You need two opposing systems. If that initial system won't fight back, no, no change is going to happen. They don't get anywhere. They need conflict, so you must get debate started by having two opposing groups, you see. And, it's, and then you get your resolutions that they come to. The, they always come to an agreements where they'll lose some ground on either side, but they're really going forward into a definite plan by, by the ones who organize it. And that's called the dialectic. The, today we call it the Hegelian dialectic. So, so it, it's... Um, Thesis, antithesis, and then they come to synthesis, which is the goal they want to arrive to in the, pl- the first place. So the left-hand path and right-hand path sometimes are sworn, even in the same lodge, two, two masters were brought together and be sworn to, in public, oppose each other to come to, to get to the particular agenda that they want to get to, the change that, that they want. It's always for progressive change, they call it. And so you'll see them often putting up the right hand and doing the sign or the left hand. That tells you their role in that particular thing. But the person have no animosity towards what you see as their opponent because they're both brothers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sign that, uh, I mean, anybody watching any uh, major uh, political figure or, or leader or the, the head of the IMF or, or whoever it may be, they, they all use this sign. It's very easy to spot it because it's not a natural gesture. It's not something that you would do naturally. So it's, yeah. it's obviously, um, you know, well-practiced and uh, delivered. Well, you'll see the five points of masonry. Uh, you'll see them all when they meet, but especially leaders of state and so on, when they meet publicly, uh, you, you'll see them they come up to shake hands, right? And they've got to shake hands, and they're all smiles and so on. And then the, one hand will stay on, on your, your, the guy's right hand, and then your left hand goes up to the elbow, so they both clutch the elbow. And then if you watch them, they step in with the right foot, if it's foot to foot, then knee to knee, and, and then it's, it's uh, chest to chest or heart to heart, and the hand goes around the back, and, and that's your five points of masonry. You see that, that they all do that. It doesn't matter what country. Even during the Cold War, you would see what the Soviet leaders doing it to the, each other and the Western politicians. Yeah, yeah. I've had a few of my um, colleagues talk about um, Putin and wonder wonder if he's on if he's on the side of the good guys, if he's helping us out and all the rest. But but I mean, it, it, it's it's got to be obvious that none of these guys are on the good side. You know, that's and, great. And as, yeah. as you say, um, and to use their own terminology, they're all in it together. Um, I, I mean, in terms of. Uh, the, the, I mean, the, the the recruiting process nowadays. I mean, if we, I mean, how how is that implemented? I mean, previously, um, as I understand it, it was it was kind of um, based upon the kind of the masons, the, the builders, the, the tradesmen, and stuff, um, getting into this kind of private club, and it goes on from there. I mean, obviously, it's a, a lot more sophisticated nowadays. Um, I mean, what what is the the, the types of recruitment processes they they go through nowadays. Well, nowadays, in the old days, it was essential in the guilds, and that, that is true. It was a craft, in other words, and like any trade craft. And uh, if you were a carpenter or, or, or a stonemason, 
Uh, you didn't want any interloper coming in saying that he was. He knew a little bit, but not enough, and, and con you. So they'd have passwords for every level from end apprentice all the way up to the master stonemason. Uh, and so they had the proofs. The person would question you, uh, and you would have the proofs that you were uh, a fully qualified one because you knew the passwords for every level uh, that you'd pass through in your apprenticeship. That's where it all came from. So when this, they were called operative masons because they were actual craft masons. And then the speculative masonry came in, which with a different agenda, they copied the old, a lot of the old rites and so on. Uh, because they're technically building the world. First you start with man, you build man himself. What is man? Man is a temple, you see. And, and so then you want to build a circle of friends. And your tie, the necktie, by the way, that everybody wears is, is a Masonic emblem, you know. That's your tow rope. It goes around your neck. That's a noose. And that the idea being in the lodge, that that uh, gave you your circle of influence, your, your capabilities within a, a specified circumference, just like the dividers when you use the compass. That was your sphere of influence, what you could do and influence everybody in your life towards the great work, you know. So um, today you find that uh, from the 1950s especially, the, the, there was an, a monthly magazine came out in America and elsewhere in the world. It's called uh, the Scottish uh, Free Masonic Journal. It was a Scottish right. And um, they actually, uh, the name of, of their, 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 that, that magazine uh, by them, with their name on it, was uh, The New Age. Uh, they said, we are, we, we, were bring, we are bringing in a new age. And the new age for the Aquarian age was to be, bring in this perfect utopia, the abolition of private property, uh, uh, everything run by the state, basically, properly, as they said, by the intelligentsia or, or hidden masters, you know, etc., things like that. Uh, and they said they would change the youth through, through revolution, cultural revolution, they would destroy the old religions by bringing in the new, which is really a combination of them all, including a lot of Hinduism. And, uh, and then uh, that, they brought in eventually Wiccanism. With the young people today, the old-fashioned stuffy suit idea of Freemasonry doesn't work so well. Uh, so they brought in Wiccanism, which also has its, its three main degrees, you see. So they have many, they're very clever uh, on what to do and keep recruiting people, etc. Those who go into Wiccanism, of course, as they get older, eventually go into the, the upper lodges. You know. Yeah, but maybe a silly question, but does, uh, does Wiccanism have anything to do with Wikipedia? <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty certain that it's a little tongue-in-cheek joke, sure. Because uh, you understand, what is Wikipedia? It gives you what's called the word, right? You're looking at a word or whatever you're looking up, and uh, that's 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 the old search. It's the lost word you're looking for, and so you might know what this means. You look up Wikipedia, so this it's a Masonic thing, yeah. So sorry, I just had a chicken on the table here. Uh, it's, it's, it's just it's just it's just gone off now. Um, oh, it's a dog's chasing it. Never mind. Anyway, um, yeah, somebody asked in the in the chat box here. They were talking about uh, the degrees, and I've heard you many times talk about the. And somebody's mentioned it here, the squaring of the head when you, you graduate. Um, obviously, that's that's got something to do with it as well. Yeah, that that represents the, the that represents the builder's hod. If you see the the builder going up with his bricks, that's what he puts his hod in. But but the the good uh, strong masons of old used to have it on their head, and you put your bricks in it and they climb the ladder. And so it means you're squared. You're you're being squared. The natural stone is a rolling stone, right? A round stone. 
And so you're, you're, you're really natural. So what they're doing is making you artificial. They're, they're in a way being blinded. If you talk to Masons that are 33 degrees and above, by the way, um, and who come out of it, they'll tell you that event, it takes a long time to start seeing the world in depth, whereas before they saw it in a kind of tunnel vision because it was shaped by Freemasonry. Yeah. If you notice, too, on top of your little uh, hats, uh, you have the, 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 the little hanging tassel. That's a limp penis, by the way, if you don't know what that means. And so, to an extent, uh, to an extent, you've been kind of neutered. There's another tongue-in-cheek joke on high masonry. Yeah. You've been created to serve their system. In other words, you've been dumbed down enough to serve their system with all of its taxations and cons and all the rest of it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost, um, I suppose, like when they put it on your head, you put it around peg in it. Yeah, yeah. A square hole. I, I don't know, but uh, um, somebody's. Um, what does it mean when? Hello, oh, we lost. Our Hello, one. yeah, you're cutting out. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, mm. Somebody's asking, uh, does it mean anything when they move the tassel from one side to the other? I'm, I'm assuming left to right. Well, generally, it's an unconscious thing. Even when they turn, it can move. So it doesn't matter. It depends on length, of course. But generally, you can go another. You can go right round to the back or the front, even. You know. Okay. Okay. Um, well. Go to the first piece of music and then we'll continue with this afterwards. I think uh, this is dedicated to uh, Steve, whose house we're in, because he, he went to the wrong airport this morning to pick us up. But, uh, <laughs> this is called Maps and you will find a way. Welcome back to Rally Bites Radio. Uh, well, we've got 25 to 9 in the UK here in the evening. I've uh, still got a guest here, Alan Watt, and we were talking off air there about the, the revolutionary uh, aspects of Freemasonry and, and basically how they go about the world uh, for, well, for many for many centuries, I suppose, um, creating havoc mm-hmm. uh, and two sides of the, the dialectic, I suppose, to, to get what they want. Um, yes. Do, do you want to discuss that a little bit, Alan? Yeah, people really have no idea of the many wars that spread across the whole of Europe. Even the time that Luther came out, and just before him too, how various groups had tried different things, kind of pre-Protestant revolution, you might call it, and they amalgamated with other disaffected groups. There was even some high rabbinical groups involved that helped fund some of these revolutions and worked with them. Uh, So different sects or different people within sects would often come together to form a kind of coalition brotherhood. And what they realized is that um, the Protestant idea, uh, since especially when it went to the Puritan idea, and Cromwell actually was part of this, it was more Judaic than it was Christian, because they followed the Old Testament so much, the the Protestant religion at that time, the, the, the Puritan type. Because people always want laws and rules of life, and you find them all more hammered out in the Old Testament than in the New, you might say. Uh, and so, so those who are more fanatical gravitate towards the law side of things. And the early Protestants were actually called Judaic by the Catholic. Uh, and there was uh, two or three uh, people, or high rabbis in, in uh, Amsterdam, who tried to get against the wishes of that men, their own congregations and followers, um, they, they tried to get groups going, uh, a, a kind of brotherhood, if you like, of revolutionary ideas. And they were all for this idea of England becoming a Puritan under Cromwell. Uh, so there was an awful lot of different factions, as I say, involved in this. Uh, there was also precursors of, of the Protestants, of, of you had um, the Bogomils, uh, the Cathars, etc., from southern France, 
who had their own societies. Many people say they go all the way back to the Templars, but nobody really knows. But these guys uh, definitely had a brotherhood on the go, the Cathars and the Bogomils. It was a kind of parallel Christianity. As I say, the whole idea was was to throw out this idea of, of a dominant Catholic uh, centralized authority over Christianity and and bring in the one thing that the folk could still understand, because that's all they knew was Christianity, uh, and bring out this new so-called benevolent system. And and maybe even down the road, end feudalism to an extent. So it had a lot of good things going for it back then, in, in a sense, for the ordinary people who were all serfs and peasants. And a serf really is just really a, a slave that's bought and sold with the land. So a lot of folk joined it, of course, but they had to join the secret societies with their passwords, codes, and so on, in order, order to escape detection. Um, and that way they had some kind of... Uh, uh, backing. It's, there's nothing worse than being on your own as a revolutionary. If you've got other brothers or help around you, you can go into hiding, whatever, and these people must take you into hiding because you're sworn to help each other, then uh, it's, it's more security in that, for sure. So that's how the secret societies really took off big time. And then Switzerland was a big, big base for dissenters from England, and they brought in lots of Catholic dissenters who were getting persecuted before that by Queen Elizabeth I. Under her reign, uh, they, they killed thousands of Catholics in England. They had concentration camps set up, and about 15,000 of them were starved to death in different camps throughout England under the, the, the first, uh, it was like almost like a Stasi system that was set up by Queen Elizabeth I, and um, a lot of them fled. The wealthy ones could f- flee to Switzerland, which could be, became a hotbed of counter-revolution. They'd send their agents back over to England to try and bring in the Catholic Church again. So th- there was all these things on the go all over the, uh, the region at that time, the whole part of Europe. Uh, and, and the centers on both sides went to Switzerland as a base where the, the fraternities f- uh, flourished, yeah. I read a, I read a book about the Cathars a number of years ago, and yeah, as you, as you say, they, they fled to South of France. But am I right in saying they had quite a quite a big uh, kind of underground following? Down yes. There? yes. Oh, yeah, they had more than just an underground following. Um, you you find that the, the Cathari uh, and the Bogomils it's all really the same group, really in different areas, you know, and they were, well, all the way through into even Bulgaria. But they had their own townships uh, and intergenerational uh, religion and their own, their own churches. They, they copied uh, the Catholic Church in some extent in that they believed in last rites, etc. So the, their particular priests would go out and, and deliver the last rites over any kind of conditions, mountains, whatever, uh, even in the winter time, they were really dedicated, but they were also wealthy as well because uh, they were trying to get ex- exempt from taxes uh, that, that went to the Catholic Church. Many bishop British people are going to understand across the whole of Europe had had uh, but appoint bishops, um, and people vied for bishop brigs because they could then tax all the people who worked in them. And, and uh, the Bogomils and these people um, uh, were, were exempt taxes, so, there, so a lot of them became very wealthy, uh, merchants and so on. And plus they accepted a different faith into them as well, uh, including the Jewish faith. Yeah. So, excuse me, I was just having a, a fit of the sneezes. Um, okay, um, if we move up to the, pr- the present day, I mean, uh, obviously these, uh, these uh, societies, uh, not just the Masons, I suppose there, there are many others, um, possibly affiliated, possibly not, um, they've obviously become very, very influential. 
Um, yeah. Would you would you say that they are they are at the at the peak of, of what's going on, or are they somewhere you know kind of down below a little, and there's there's other societies well, above them? It's, it's like yeah, it's like Pike said, and this is the, the trick with masonry too. Um, most masons are taught the, the, the three main degrees, and once you become a master mason, that's it all. But it's not true. There, there are side lodges you're pulled off into if if you have the right stuff, you might say, uh, to go higher. And so they groom people for for jobs in politics, uh, in high bureaucracy positions, uh, diplomatic corps, things like that. It's a grooming procedure. They select different people out of it to go higher. Quite interesting, too, that uh, in the lower degrees, and I include, that includes up to Master Mason, in lower degrees, Pike called them the, the outer portico. In other words, they're like a cover for, for their true masonry. The ones at the bottom think they know it all, and the, the, all their acquaintances that know their masons, they seem just like you, the good old boy type thing. And, and, but they really don't know much at all. Uh, they do get a lot of favours uh, for being masons. They can get escape petty bureaucracy. They can get instant bank loans generally, things like that as master masons. But uh, they really don't know all the higher things. So as you go up the degrees in masonry, what they do uh, technically is, is atheize you along the way. And if you get up high enough, then they bring in the, the, the religion they believe in, you see. And it's a very old idea, the religion. That, that does go back to ancient times, whether they revived it or copied it, we don't know. But there's a, a higher religion there, and that's where they talk about the hidden masters, the superior ones, the, you know, all this kind of A hidden master basically is someone in the old reincarnation business uh, who doesn't have to come back. He's been perfected. Uh, this all goes back to Gnosticism even But he's perfected So he only, he only comes back into the human form To help humanity As you might call it a fisher king Or, or, a, or a benevolent dictator um, A Solomon type figure And these, these are the hidden masters That they say eventually they'll bring forth to the world When the world is ready In other words, when they've conquered the world and and, and used democracy and then thrown it away, discarded it, once its use is over, they'll bring in a a new authoritarian society, basically. A benevolent dictatorship, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose, I mean, the the ones we see on the televisions, the Lagards of this world, the the Blairs, the the Camerons, I mean, they're obviously not at the top. I mean, they're obviously not. But um, do you think they actually believe they are? Oh, oh, that's the beauty of it. As you mentioned before, Pike said himself, you can go through different degrees and secrets and all the rest of it, only be told way down the road. Now, we've told you one level of secrecy. Now, here's the real reason (laughs) for these these things happening. And that goes all the way up to the top. You keep getting told, not necessarily that the ones were false, but there are there are low meanings. Here's a higher meaning, and then there's a higher meaning after that, and so on. That's what, as they're testing you, because once you get near the top, you start to clue into to where it's going, and and where it's going for a lot of people wouldn't be very nice. Uh, appointing this new system over the world of expert management, you might say, uh, and, and tossing complete democracy and, and rights out the window on the way. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, obviously there's there's a a kind of filtration system, if you like, and the higher you go, the the more they may they may ask you to do, or the more you actually do exactly. willingly. Exactly, the they're bringing the confidence. Uh, the one thing you're taught in masonry is to instantly obey a command by a superior. 
any morality you have over what they ask you to do must be put to the side altogether and not enter into what in your action. You must do it immediately. So it's instant obedience and do not ask questions. Now, you ask any politician, you watch any politician and how they get up the ladder, they, mean, they keep their ears open as they start and they go up the ladder, but they, they know what questions not to ask. That's how you get ahead in life. Same with the police, the police force or anything like that. You don't ask your superiors for answers. Obey, 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 and 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 then you're a good, a good, uh, a good mason. You know, basically that's it. Okay, um, a couple of questions in the chat box here. Um, Knights of Malta are they masons? Uh, yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, can, can, they are, yeah. Well, yeah, they go all the way back. They're, even when you go back into the uh, the Catholics, remember too there were there were. Um, Orders, before we heard the term masonry, there were orders of, like, next to the Garters, an order, for instance. Uh, there was also the Catholic Church that had orders of monks, and they had the orders of the Knights of Jerusalem, you know, uh, that were sent over there initially, uh, the warrior-type monks, and, and the Templars, uh, they were sent over to protect uh, travelers going to the Middle East when at that time uh, uh, the, the Catholic Church had a seat or a seat in the Middle East in, in Jerusalem once again and that lasted quite for quite some time after the Crusades but so, so these orders still exist they were warrior monks uh, and uh, the Templars eventually fell out of favor gradually because uh, the other troops that were over there from all of Europe noticed that when it came to two or three major battles, uh, storming castles held by the uh, Islamics, uh, that, uh, that the Templars were delaying uh, the, 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 this breaking through the walls, and, and they seemed to be almost working for the Muslims. Uh, and of course, the, they found out later that uh, the Templars brought everybody in, and from modern masonry does too, it doesn't matter what religion or ethnic group or whatever you come from, uh, they will take in someone who swears to be a brother and takes all the oaths. And they had done that. The, the, the Templars had done that, in fact, yeah. Well, I mean, so, like, you, like you just said there about, um, you know, instantly obeying orders. I mean, it's, it's almost a, a military kind of kind of thing anyway. You know, don't ask questions and forget your morality. Um, you know, if you want, you know, uh-huh. we're going to shoot that guy over there, go shoot him. And that's it. No, no questions asked. Yeah, no questions asked. And, and the key to success, as I say, is not to ask. It's not, even when you're really dying to you know, don't ask why. You know. Yeah. And if you if you do that, then you can be trusted to go up higher, you see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, somebody's asking me about the 13 families, I think, that have mentioned them here. Uh, House of Borgia, House of Brickspear, House of Somalia, House of Orsini, House of Conti, House of Chigi, House of Colonna, House of Farnese, House of Medici, House of Gitani, House of Pambili, House of Estim, House of Aldo Brandini. I mean, most the only one I would have heard of this, well, a couple of, uh, of the Borgias, uh, Breakspears and Medici, but uh, the rest of them I wouldn't have heard of at all. Uh, I, I mean, would you would you go along with that? Is, is them being kind of up there, as it were? They'll be up there. See, a lot of the, in, in the past, a lot of you can remember two Freemasonry at one time was not for the common man. Uh, it, it was really for for the middle class and for knights, etc. That's why they were dying to get, get knighthoods, etc., to get into it. It wasn't until they needed the numbers for revolution that they gave it to the working class man, and they lied to them too. Uh, they said that we're all equal on the lodge floor. Well, that's fine, but outside you're not. 
you're, if you're poor when you went in there, you're still poor when you come out. Uh, so they, they promised to help, etc., etc. But I know many Masons who left it, uh, and that was their complaint, is that they were hypocrites and liars, and they helped the, the, the upper echelons as opposed to helping the, the working class people. Now, what they did do is bring out a lot of unions, uh, to, to, to help uh, the working class And that did work uh, for a long time Until they destroyed the unions But if you look at all the old union emblems You'll often, in marchings and so on You'll see all the Masonic emblems on their banners All the old unions So it did a lot of good too uh, uh, In those days yeah. Yeah, Somebody mentioned earlier The uh, the emblem of Donegal is a, is a Masonic emblem as well um, And of course that's, that's the only It's the only county uh, North of the if you draw a straight line across from Belfast, I suppose it's uh, kind of north of there, um, yeah. which you know it's only only northern county that's uh, actually in the south, as it were. But um, in terms of in terms of t- today, um, how can I put it? Do you, I mean, do you do you think that um, the 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 whole thing about Freemasons will have uh, will come to a point where it's no longer necessary? And the people way above that will just say, "Okay, we've we've achieved what we've achieved. And, uh, we no longer need, need these people." As, as you say, they lie to them anyway, and they think of them as uh, you know just there to be used as such. I mean, do you think that day will ever come? Where another society um, comes to the forefront, as it were? I mean, the Freemasons are put forward, and everybody seems to think that uh, that's that's the be all and end all, and that, that's that's who's running things. But um, yeah, I think I think it's fairly obvious that they're not. I would never have heard of them. Um, yes. Uh... Mm-hmm. So well, eventually, eventually, it is possible it might not need them, the ones at the top, the, the real society at the top, I'd say, uh, that does have uh, the, the real histories of it all, uh, and knows its whole history in archives. I mean, those guys may, will keep going, I'm sure, because they must always be a band at the top of what they call wild men, meaning they haven't been, their brains haven't been tampered with by massive indoctrination, as we all get. Uh, they run the, the the starship Earth, you might say, and so they must remain wild and have their capabilities for decisive action. But those all the helpers down below them, it's possible in the future as things become more electronic, even voting and so on, they won't need them. I mean, if you go into Canada uh, uh, to to vote, you'll find it's mainly um, women. It's mainly the women who who are behind the the ballots and so on, and they all have their Eastern Star badges on. You know, so they count all the votes. So the Masonic guys all count the votes, regardless of where it is across the British Empire. Things like that. So, so right now they're awfully handy. Same in the police force. If they, if they, I mean, you know the police really today is a standing army. That's what they are. They're a military force. And um, it's got worse since 9-11, of course, and the excuse of terrorism to build up this military force for the great change, which is to come. And the great change is where they eventually since I've had a great time using democracy and getting us all to go along with it and work for it and, and strive for it, now they'll, they'll toss out the window because you can't have that in, in a terroristic age where authority must act quick and decisive without uh, the public complaints, etc. They're bringing the authoritarian age. So you still need the police forces and the people in the army, and uh, but definitely in the police forces to go along with any order they're given, yeah. And plus, it's a great insurance thing because uh, you got. I mean, the, the cops always uh, rig their books together to make sure they all have the same story when something happens. Uh, and it, so, that, so it really is a great insurance. Knowing your your brother policeman is going to stand up for you and and, and lie if necessary. Yeah. yeah. You may you may 
should the ladies mind the counter counting the votes and of course uh, it's often been said that uh, it doesn't matter who you vote for it matters who counts the votes yeah, that's what Stalin said yeah 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 there you have it um somebody's asking uh, do they really worship i think it's oh, saturn sorry i thought it said satan uh and well kill babies i suppose is basically putting a paedophilia etc i mean is, is is that the well, thing or is that that's something different altogether there's a curious thing i understand a lot of masonry is taken from it was taken from uh, um, uh, Talmudism and Kabbalah. It was a Jewish thing uh, that took a lot from that. The Kabbalah is esoteric Judaism, a kind of mystic Judaism. Not all Jews are into it, but, but lots of them are too. Mainly in the 60s and 70s, that came to the fore whenever the whole New Age really was, was exploded across the world. Um, uh, the balance, they call it, the balance of, there's no such thing as good and evil. There's only a downside and an upside, etc., etc. And for every downside, something benefits even from the downside. So, as Kabbalistic in origin, John Dee talked about it because he, he said he, 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 he studied Hebrew from, from uh, three Jewish guys from the East, and that's another symbol, a lodge brother, you know. And, uh, and he was taught the Hebrew, and, and he went into what he thought was demonology at that time, a very uh, esoteric tradition of calling down demons. Uh, but also some of the laws that they adopted too came from Talmudic uh, instruction, which is a modern Judaism is not old Judaism or Hebrewism. It's a much later uh, development. But a lot of that went into the, the origins of Freemasonry, to do with uh, the entered apprentice, apprentice, that was the building of Solomon's temple, when Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent his builders to um, to, to, uh, to Jerusalem to build the temple, and uh, he then initiated into the crafts, it says in the Old Testament, uh, 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 the apprentice uh, Jew, Jews. And that's why today the nickname for an entered apprentice is a Jewish apprentice in, in Masonic lodges. So they, that's one of the claims they used to make uh, uh, as to why, how old it was. But, but uh, regardless, uh, you, you'll see little hints of it in ancient times to the present. So the, the building of Solomon's temple required secrecy to learn the craft of building and so on. And then, but the higher speculative mason of today uh, it believes in building yourself. You're, you are the temple. Uh, you, uh, to the extent you are Solomon, you know, Solomon is three sons and Saul, uh, Om, and, and and On in three different languages. Son, 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 the triple son. Uh, your your Hermes Trimegistus, three times great. So that's the whole idea behind it. You're building yourself. You're perfecting yourself. In the alchemic age uh, and the outer portico of alchemy, uh, everyone knows what they run to. Uh, they were turning base metals into gold. That meant the base metal was a rough unhewn rock, which was you, the peasant sort of thing, uh, and they, by by the magic of, of chemical transformation, they would turn you into gold, they would perfect man himself. That was the whole secret behind alchemy. Yeah. So, uh, who, 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 just, to, just to finish off, I mean, who, who in your opinion today, I mean, apart from um, Michael of Kent, uh, would you say is at the the forefront of the the modern uh, Freemasonic movement? They all work together um, today. Uh, uh, one of their main lodges is in Israel now, and I noticed a few years back uh, the Grand Master for Toronto Lodge, who, who's, who was Jewish, he's a Grand Master over there, and for, for I think it was Ontario or Canada. I'm not quite sure if it's both, 
but they have a big lodge there, and, and many of the lodges in French lodges and English lodges and so on, ones that used to appear to oppose each other for revolutionary strategy, um, are all, all working together uh, today. In fact, many of them in the York Rite uh, will accept uh, the Knights of Malta, and for instance, or the, or the John in Jerusalem, or that used to be supposed bitter enemies at one time. They can bring them into lodge meetings now. So they're all working together, you know. Yeah, I was I was up in um, well, St Edmunds uh, about a year or so ago, six months ago maybe, and uh, there's a, a Masonic lodge there with the, the nice obelisk outside it, and the, the the building was up for sale, and uh, nobody could work out where they were going to go next. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, they, uh-huh. they were moving somewhere, but there was there, there was no um, kind of indication of where they were moving to. But uh, the, the building it was, it was interesting. Uh, it had quite a lot of windows on the ground floor, and they were all they were all blacked out. You couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. They call it the church with no windows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, there you go then. Um, we've come to the end of the hour, and uh, thanks very much, Alan, for your time and your, your knowledge. And uh, we shall uh, hear from you again next month, I suppose. I don't know what the topic is going to be. Nobody's, nobody's suggested one, but uh, we'll, we'll come up with something, I'm sure. As I say, it's a vast topic, even if you cover in an hour, you can't really do it. But it's, a, it's, got, it's got such a long history. If you go into the revolutionary aspects of it down through the ages, you'll be fascinated, though. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, no, we're... we're um, talking about um, trying to do kind of short half-hour programs on the uh, Awake TV network, uh, mm-hmm. basically as an introduction to, to you know, the, the multitude of subjects there are, and uh, th- then let people take it themselves from there, and uh, because as you say, it's, it's vast, you couldn't, you couldn't do it on the, on the radio for three, four hours, because people would just switch off, but uh, they, they have to really do it for yeah, themselves. Yeah, you, you can take different people in, in Masonic history as, as spies, for instance. And, and do a tenor show just on one. I mean, it, it, there's so much information there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, well, uh, we'll call it a day there, and uh, we'll go to the next piece of music, which is uh, for Paula, who's over from uh, sunny Florida and listening in the other room there. Uh, this is uh, Imagine Dragons and Radioactive.